for so many of us, stories of pain and trauma coat our perception of the world. We hold onto pain, not noticing where and how we do so, not knowing how we might let go, or perhaps simply not knowing what an alternative may be for our own story. But if there was ever an artist who personally and professionally embodied the narrative of hope and kindness for herself and for others, well, Cat Jones would be it. I have yet to meet someone who can speak about having narrowly survived two tornadoes, two floods, living with two different thyroid diseases, as well as having battled through a phase of narcolepsy and more, with the grace and good humour about it all that she does. Instead of complaining or holding on to stories of why me, she instead channels her experiences through her vocational calling as a singer and interdisciplinary collaborations facilitator, giving voice to the deepest, sometimes dark, internal and silent, and therefore typically unheard stories we carry, intentionally offering a cathartic mirror of sound that enables everyone to feel seen because they are being heard. And of course, like so many artists who follow their inner calling, she is also profoundly gifted with the depth of talent and skill needed to fulfill that role, both for her own personal journey and in service of others. And there is definitely something priestly about Kat's sensibilities about the world and her art. You can imagine my delight when she agreed to sit in conversation with me and chat about these ideas, about trauma and lightness and hope, about giving voice to the deeper things, and about what it truly means to roll up our sleeves in the work of bettering our world. Firstly, actually, Kat Jones extraordinary human being of many different hats and colors and pizzazz and panache, as I've learned. Thank you for your time. Um, I've become very aware in the time that we're in how precious time is. And so thank Mm -hmm. you for spending yours with me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. 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 You better be. (laughs) But look, I've, I've been thinking, um, I've been thinking a lot not just about what we choose to create as artists and creatives, but really about how we go about creating. Um, and if perhaps we're in a process of redefining what that is, because I have this sense that it's going to be artists and creatives, regardless of industry or profession. Um, you know, those people who know how to live without the rule book, who instinctively know how to pick up the pieces and create something new with them who are actually going to be the leaders at this time. You know, I get the sense that creatives are going to be the ones who will lead the way in creating what is the new world, you know, from the pieces of the, I guess, the destruction of what we have known that is happening right now through this like COVID experience. And Kat, I know you've lived through so many of these what you would call apocalyptic disruptions in your life, Mm. that I'm wondering how you went about it internally, this process of picking up and creating anew. And perhaps you could share with everyone listening, well, firstly, the litany of apocalypses you've survived. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also how you went about creating during, after, and with the pieces of those experiences. 
yeah. So uh, I am a uh, professional musician and um, had actually been touring for about um, six solid years, um, starting at the age of 20, um, doing sort of an Americana style of music. And I actually wasn't super satisfied with the music I was making at the time. Um, I was starting to grow past it. I was saying no to myself a lot um, during the process of creation instead of saying yes to my ideas or I would, I would let um, producers that I had kind of say no to my ideas, not because I was wrong, but because they had ideas of other people's boxes that they wanted to put me into. Um, and it was really frustrating. And, and at, at it, in the year, um, well, I guess it doesn't matter what year it was, but about, about 15 years ago, um, I started having a series of friends pass away, mm-hmm. um, the suicides, um, uh, cancer. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one was, but it, does, it doesn't matter. But about three or four friends passed away. And in that season, my father had a stroke mm-hmm. um, that kind of forced me to bury those other deaths. Um mm-hmm. And then after, shortly after the stroke, I moved to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, because I really felt like um, I was about to get stuck in my hometown of Fresno if I didn't leave immediately. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to Nashville, my dad actually passed away about two months later, which oh, gosh. it might come to a surprise that I, I didn't actually put two and two together. <laughs> you know, yeah. that... that urgency to leave was really wrapped around me needing to, to not be in Fresno when I, when my dad passed Everything away. Finally collapsed. Totally. Um, the grief was pretty intense. I stopped playing music for about six months. Yeah. Um, and then when I started playing, I think I actually started too, too soon. I started touring again um, because I needed a sense of, of, narrative in yeah. in the middle of all of this I needed to start reclaiming a lot of it um and uh and I burnt myself out essentially do you think that was because and you started too soon or I, I do about the process I do think it was because I started too soon I touring a lot of people think that touring is a very social activity mm-hmm. um and it is not you are with people for about two hours a day and it's a very heightened state yeah, right yeah um and then and then you're completely alone for the rest mm. of that time even yeah. if you're in a bus with other people because everyone's trying to get enough space mm, to, to stay in character to be ready for the <laughs> next performance yeah oh, wow. um and so um and so when that happened this is sort of my first apocalypse, I would say, was my dad passing away. Yeah. My second apocalypse was me burning down my entire career because I was so lonely and I was hurting mm. and I was pouring too much of myself out and not getting yeah. anything back and um, hadn't built, built enough of a support system in Nashville. Started to get a lot of like really amazing opportunities 
And those opportunities, uh, one was, I won't say what artist it was, but opening up for one of my favorite artists in the world in a boat in the middle of the ocean. And (laughs) that was the turning point for me of like, I would be doing that alone. Yeah. Uh, My family wouldn't be able to come out. My manager wouldn't be able to come. I wouldn't have a support system. I'd be fulfilling a lifetime goal. I'm so lonely. Right. I'm so lonely. I'm in so much pain. Mm. I am going to stop speaking to everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I remember you telling me about this, like complete self-implosion. Yeah. Like, and I exploded my life essentially, you know, um, but in the middle of that, <laughs> like these, these, I love that you can still um, giggle about it and draw. Oh, totally. Not, maybe not joy from the memories, but joy from the memories, if that makes sense. Well, from joy a- from the recovery for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. And I needed, I needed that break, you know? Um, yeah. How long were you so off for? I was off for about two years. Yeah. And I struggled with a lot of guilt for abandoning my path, you know. Mm. Um, But in the process of it, I started to go through these actually apocalyptic circumstances while I was rebuilding. Um, Mm. So I I started going through the artist's way and really challenging myself to get back up and recover. And uh, had two very close friends. Um, we started an arts organization, or we relaunched an arts organization together. Um, but uh, as a result of going through the artist way, but we went through this together. And then every you know, Nashville had a flood, and I of um, had to bail thirty six hundred gallons of water out of my house, and ended up being displaced as a as a result of it. Oh, I was in a tornado the following year. And one just uh, recently, like a few weeks ago, right? I d- almost drove into the tornado. I was about 25 feet away from it. Yeah. That's oh, fun. Uh, I have no yeah. idea what that is in meters, but it sounds a lot too close for anyone. It's, uh, in meters, I would say that is about 10, 11, 12 meters. How Very on close. Earth, how on earth does one get that close <laughs> by accident? Um, it's very scary now that I know what actually happened. I missed being underneath the tornado by seconds, as far as I can tell. Um, and I was, I was near the epicenter of the storm. And so there was no storm around me. I had Uh, no idea that any of this was going on. Yeah, right. Um, because the energy around it was all being focused into the tornado, you know? Um, and so I was like, oh, there's a little bit of lightning happening. I'm going to go sit on this bridge and watch the lightning pass. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. And then... It's so super, So crazy. And then I, and I was on the phone with a friend. <laughs> I don't know how you're sane. I, I mean, like, uh, because I know you are. You, you know, yeah. you're an extraordinary mind, uh, <laughs> sort of an un, unbridled creative. And yet... <laughs> I mean, this is really what drives my question. It's like, how on earth? Yeah. And I know this is not, um, you know, we, we could keep going for the entire conversation, re- retelling and, you know, relaying the stories of survival. Oh, sure. But, yeah. you know, that really drives my question. You know, how on earth have you taken these earth shattering, something changes inside you and, mm. you know, pick, pick yourself up, pick your career up, pick anything up, pick the, pick the dog up. <laughs> you know, um, and, and keep going and keep creating uh, professionally, personally, 
what's your process with that? What do you actually yeah, do? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. So one of the first experiences of my life was my brother passing away. Yeah. Um, and I think I, because death and bad things are part of, uh, essentially like my li- life made a contract with me at, at that point of understanding that there was pain in life and part of it came with pain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so, so I there's feel this kind of space of acceptance is like a first. Step uh, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, okay, that happened. Um, and so, and 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 I realized that to a certain extent, I have somehow had a convergence of once in a lifetime circumstances in my life that that other people would see as as um, very very hard to overcome. I've had them over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary tale. It really is. It's like you're, uh, you're, the, yeah. you're like a cat with 20 lives. Yeah, um, it's very strange. And, um, and, you know, and I work very hard to just, just stay in a mental space of like, this isn't something I draw to myself. This isn't something that, because other people will be like, why yeah. are you, why does that stuff always happen to you? You know, and I'm like, I'm like, look, I am just one life and I need to believe that a lot of this is random in order for me to get through it or I'm going to torture myself. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and it's okay that it's random. Yeah. And, and, and not picking up the why me, the kind of the victimhood narrative around it. Like why me? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when, when I started, when, when the first flood happened and, and when the tornado, the first tornado happened, well, first flood, the only flood I've been in so far, um, and the tornado happened sort of in a year against each other. And I was, um, it displaced, um, and, uh, homeless for quite a long while as a result of that. But I had a lot of protection from the community around me to keep me from being on the streets. When I was going through that, I also had a debilitating undiagnosed thyroid disease, right? And, and I have Graves' disease and Hashimoto's disease. Graves' disease is a neurological disease that attacks the thyroid and other organs. And then Hashimoto's disease is probably a thyroid disease that I have as a result of the Graves' disease. I'm not right. quite sure how that right. works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, I was basically all the time, a hundred percent of the time getting a flood of fight or flight hormones Mm. coursing through my body. Um, And I thought because of everything that I was going through, and it probably was to a certain extent, I thought I was just dealing with very extreme post-traumatic stress disorder. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And and so I started going to, you know, I, uh, I have a church that I go to and the church at the time was in this incredible phase spiritually of like just very intense permission to emote, you know? And so I would get into church and the first place that I would come was to like sit down in front of God and do the why me's, yeah. you know? And ask the questions that don't have answers and it won't get an answer. You know, our kind of survival instinct doesn't allow us to ask. And then we put ourselves in a sort of 
whatever our personal nest is that we can crack ourselves open and let that, 100%. Let that yeah. kind of the why me wailing come out so that we can yes. clear it from the mind and sort of keep going forward, you know? Yeah. And so I entered, I actually am really thankful for that season because while this process was going on, I had at least once a week where I could come in and hit the most extreme emotional state I possibly could yeah, and really get into my heart and my spirit and let it, let it be changed and yeah. renewed. It was like really extreme sort of uh, alternative narrative therapy. Yeah. And then, um, and then I wrote a series of songs basically about surviving the apocalypse um, and, um, and started touring them like uh, with myself as the victor, um, a new voice yeah. emerged in my body that allowed me singing in my family, sort of like Eastern European style. Yeah. And um and sorry, you cut out a little bit there. You said a new voice emerged that enabled you to sing with this Middle Eastern tonality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my voice completely changed in this yeah. season. It got a lot deeper. It got a lot heartier. Yeah. Um, I started using, you know, the idea of flamenco dancers, like the best and most celebrated flamenco dancers are the, the older ones that carry their life in their bodies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and really coming to the, I I want to sing form as one who carries the fact that she has survived in her body, yeah. you know? And to take all of these strange circumstances and to provide an opportunity to give them shape and purpose by saying, I am one who survives, I'm one who holds space for hope, you know. That and, gives me that gives me shiver. Yeah. It, it 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 harkens, you know, of like the Maya Angelou, "I will rise." It's um, mm. but you know, you know, turning yourself basically into a, hmm, making not just your art an expression of something, but making yourself a a vessel. Yeah, of, the, the words that want to come out of my mouth, my mouth is um, a vessel for the divine to share mm-hmm. a message of, as you've said, of hope, of survival, of strength. Um, but it's also, I, I get the sense that it's um, someone who embodies their story and does not run or, again, sort of fight or flight it. You know, someone right, who kind of right. holds holds space for the entirety of their own story, no matter how big or catastrophic or traumatic or intense or joyful or gleeful, like, girl, you know how to laugh and play, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and yet you're someone who holds space for it all. And that was definitely my experience um, when we had the great, great fortune of actually meeting in this life. Mm. It's you're someone who has space for people to be as they are, you know, and, mm. I think that only really comes from someone who knows how to hold space within themselves or be the space for themselves <laughs> or in a very spiritual sense for their body to be the vessel for their soul in a, in a very whole way. Um, it's, it's beautiful, Kat. What I'm also hearing you, what I heard you talk about earlier, there were some key words that you sort of, little picture that you painted around the beginning of your <laughs> 
apocalyptic experiences. Um, and what I heard was this, um, I don't know if it was like a, a balancing act that sort of had to start emerging or there was this sense of urgency that started driving change. There was like this, I have to get away and then I, I have to drive, I have to do this, or I have to come out now, I have to start touring, it'll help me survive. And there's this sort of externalizing mm. that, um, yeah, this externalizing that sort of was the driver for how you bead and for <laughs> how you expressed creatively and just in, you know, where you chose to live. Um, but that, then that interestingly went into the extreme opposite of, okay, now I need complete internalization and complete isolation almost mm. um, in order to balance that and recoup. Um, and for me, I'm not sure if I have a clear question around this, but maybe just your thoughts on, you know, if I go back to that idea of how we go about creating that there needs to be this awareness and balance of holding what is internal to us and mm. giving it form, but somehow not pouring it out of us, which was the mm. phrase that you used. Um, I, I watched this little video that uh, another friend of mine had sent, um, another extraordinary creative who has been this sort of surge of joy and adaptability in this time. I'm myself drawing so much inspiration from how she continues to almost relentlessly to just do as she does. Um, but she sent me this video on Insta of a woman talking about redefining productivity and how, <laughs> because COVID, um, you know, everyone's got this narrative of, oh, you can hold yourself up and do that project and do that thing and do the thing you're always going to do and da da, da 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 keep busy, keep busy. And this lady is saying, yo, wait up, y'all. <laughs> you know, like, Mm. productivity in the time of COVID, um, sleep, because it increases your immune system. Hello, productivity. Or mm -hmm. spread happiness where there is sorrow. Hello, productivity. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just stop. And my thought is around um, definitely if we just suddenly all jump online and continue doing everything as we've always done it, then what's, what really have we learned? What have we embodied? A new. What have we? Um, what new life have we truly created for ourselves out of the opportunity of sort of the dismantled pieces of our life that we can we, we yeah. can have the chance to step back from and look at and sift yeah. and sort and say that works, that doesn't. You know, scrap yeah. the doesn't, keep the does. Um, and so I guess that actually does lead very nicely into another question that I had for you around what sort of uh, perhaps redefining what new awarenesses are coming up for you at this time? I had a little more context for the question, but I think that's enough of it. <laughs> yeah. Of oh my gosh. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for this period because it's so strange, right? So it mm. provides you an opportunity to reset. And I had a, um, a traumatic brain injury last year uh, that you know about. Um, and, um, I've just moved in, into this house, you know, after having this um, narrative of being um, homeless for a few years, I bought a home and moved into it and was learning to celebrate it. And then, yeah. um, and then got this uh, traumatic brain injury 
that completely reset me, reset my habits, reset my mm. circumstances and in not very healthy ways because I literally had to exist in order to survive the brain injury. I couldn't read. I, I was struggling with depression and anxiety. My vision would split in half sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, and then, and then, and then at the tail end of, at the very end of me sort of recovering from the brain injury, I, I left for Portland, Oregon, where I met you. Right. And, <laughs> and that, and that was its own experience. And, and when I came home, I was exhausted. sorry. I, did, I, I, I will right? for one second. I'm I'm giggling because I cannot fathom how one human embodies such a story with the amount of <laughs> roundedness, grace, and good humor that you do. I am. I, t- <laughs> I swear, you know, if there ever was a shining light, like you know, you are the story that gives everyone else the excuse to not say, why me? Because you know what? Someone else. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. Sorry. Please do continue. No, it's okay. Um, uh, You're so, saying you got back you know, from Portland, home to Nashville. Yeah, I, I, I got back from Portland. I was exhausted yeah. and sort of still in shock about to the um the unusual yeah starting to accept that that had happened and then um then had set up a series of just really bad habits streaming too much television running away from my own creativity Mm. um you know sort of blocking um participating in artistic blocking activities basically and um and I was you know praying um and and just sort of asking for help to get out of those habits and uh and I was struggling through uh I was, so funny I was struggling through narcolepsy over the winter and really oh, really fighting against that as a result of my thyroid disease and so yeah. you know not cataplexic not falling asleep in the street or while I'm driving but sleeping 16 to 20 hours a day and feeling like my stress hormones for some reason were triggering my body to have this very unhealthy sleep schedule. And and it was very frustrating. That was like the one moment where I like people would ask how I was doing and I would get very close to bursting into tears. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I am not okay. Yeah. <laughs> the last year has not been okay. You know. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And, Again, um, acknowledging it. <laughs> yeah. And uh and uh and then the tornado happened and I uh you know a large portion of the city that I love, Nashville, Tennessee, had been decimated, like movie set decimated by this tornado and Um, and, and I, you know, am acquainted with a woman who got ripped out of her house, like the the roof got ripped out, got ripped off of her home. And then she was pulled by the tornado out of her home and thrown and she survived. Oh my God. I mean, I, I can't, again, for me that, and I'm sure for most people in Australia, that is literally kind of Hollywood style terror. I cannot fathom it. No, absolutely. We're kind of like, we've got, hey, got to pack up my car in about three hours and run away from a bushfire. But, you know, I'm I'm still sort of in control of what I do in those three hours. This is not, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and Nashville has this amazing, we were one of the, like the, uh, Tennessee is called volunteer state. We have, I think, I think a large majority of the world's uh, world relief foundations and volunteer foundations exist out of Nashville as their hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the moment that, that this tornado hit, Everyone in the city put work gloves on and yeah. went out to go help rebuild. Yeah, yourself included. Yeah. yeah. It, really not to go into it too deeply, but I always have these moments in my days where, I don't know, something makes me pause and I'm suddenly mm. like, oh, X, Y, Z is actually literally happening in the world right now somewhere else. Mm. You know, this sort of like expanded awareness, like, I'm sitting here recording this with you and there is a flood somewhere, you know, or yeah. there's a, a crocodile eating an elephant somewhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or there's, um, you know, a, a human being riding a motorbike through smog to work, or maybe not actually because it's COVID, but you get the, you know, because COVID. <laughs> um, oh, I have to say, it's so funny. I, I remember when I was uh, in Israel for the first time, it was during the second uprising, the second intifada. And mm-hmm. at that time, we learned this phrase, Biglal Hamatzav, which literally translates as because of the situation. So whenever something was happening that you didn't understand or there was something a bit odd about the way things were functioning or like, why is it like that in Israel? Biglal Hamatzav. So, <laughs> you know, now we've got because mm-hmm. COVID and I find it a bit funny that there's this <laughs> global because COVID thing that we could banter about um oh my gosh yeah one of the things that i love about this is the connectedness of the world right now through this experience Mm. i hear you on that it's yeah it's heart opening and extraordinary to know that we're going through something as as a human family you know like Mm -hmm. everyone's sort of holding hands and um <laughs> or not. <laughs> but you know, you know, you know, you know what I mean. I'll I'll leave that one for now. Um touching it, touching elbows. <laughs> yeah. Uh Neil Diamond put out a, a video, um, something hands, not touching hands. <laughs> yeah. out, oh my god. Not touching my god, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's up. It's on YouTube. He's done that. And I actually only just watched uh, it this morning and it oh it, it it broke me in the best way, you know, just to see so uh, much warmth and compassion and like the best of humanity. Yes, there's the panic. I don't know if you guys are losing toilet paper in the US. Oh no, actually I've seen that you have. Oh, yes. But we have not <laughs> I'm lucky that I buy who gives a crap, which means they kind of put a stockpile on hold. People couldn't push their orders <laughs> forward. So I've got another I shouldn't tell people that I've got another order coming. They might <laughs> storm my house. Um, but look, I'm going to actually um, ask just perhaps one question uh, more of you that kind of condenses two things I was thinking. So in light of everything, um, I know, you know, so just looking at the um, this idea of picking up the pieces and moving forward. And you know, you, you're, you've spoken a lot about what you're doing on the ground as an activist um, in the community, as uh, as an artist in the past. But I'm wondering how this um, experience is shaping you. Uh, you know, you've taken really trauma 
as a, I guess, a theme and survival as a theme in the past. And I know you developed a work that was, from memory, an immersive piece that used imagery from historic train accidents in the USA to help people process trauma. And there was some very, very positive um, uh, feedback of its uh, genuine affect uh, for Mm. people. So just, I think, for, for everyone listening, maybe just to tell us a little bit about that piece, but then the question is also, what pieces are you picking up now? And um, are there any new drivers for yourself or new direction that, you're, that you seem to be moving in? I, I know you also had a project that you're working on with the indomitable Monica Bowles <laughs> of the Dome community mm-hmm. who works, um, yeah. I think for lack of a better term, as a sort of sound engineer, but she works in spatializing audio within domes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So. I don't know, is that project happening? The essence of the question is really what pieces are you working with now? What's inspiring you now? What might be driving you forward? What of this experience is recreating you and what will you create with this experience? Mm. Yeah, okay. So quickly, Haunted. Um, ha- haunted, the train-centered piece, was um, not something that I developed, but I was invited in as a... Um, contributing artist and that was something that I basically um, started this piece about a train crash that happened in Nashville in 1918 where 121 people died most of them were African-American so in the time of Jim Crow um, there were the train system was organized uh, to keep black train cars and white train cars separate and the black train cars were made out of wood. The white train cars were made out of metal. In terms of passengers, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, and then, uh, two two trains because of a scheduling error collided full speed okay. in this area in Nashville called Dutchman's Curve, mm-hmm. and um, it it shattered the the black train cars um so it was like bullets headed through the cars Mm. and um which is why so many of the fatalities in the accident were african-american um and so um the explosion apparently could be heard uh in a 45 mile radius um and people walked from all 45 miles to come and see what had happened um and so after Trump was elected in 2016, and 2017 is when Haunted premiered, mm-hmm. and it basically became a catalyst to process the trauma of experiencing racism um, and, and wanting to give voices to people who had no voice. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, It was a really, really, really beautiful piece. About 36 artists came together and designed each individual train car. And Mm -hmm. then um, we had actors moving as actual passengers through the space Mm -hmm. as though they were haunting the space Mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of spinning into their worst possible mental state by the end of the piece um, where um, where 
one of the writers that covered covered the accident mm. um, actually gave them all permission to accept peace and go home, essentially. Mm. Wow. Um, and I was brought in as the first artist that, that they would interact with. Um, so I basically played the introductory music for the piece yeah. and walked up to each individual um, patron, um, looked them in the eyes and, and sang at them before they walked into the train, into the train cars Um, and really wanted to give space for grief in the process of moving into the space and to let people know that whatever they thought they were coming to experience, that there was literally no way that, that their expectations could be held in order for them to receive what was coming as it should be received. And so just kind of walked up to each individual person and, and really tried to create that room. Um, and then, and then was brought in, in the middle, in the part that represents the actual trains colliding, um, to sing a song that I wrote, um, shortly after Trump was elected. And there were a series of, of, uh, white power demonstrations in the country and um, I really wanted to stand as an advocate, as an ally. And so I wrote a song with the chorus, uh, the day has come, but we won't run. Can you sing that for that us, Kat? Would you treat friends- us? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll sing the first couple of lines. Um, um, Simple as a hello, called down from the sky. They say it's just a reaction, and I don't know why, I don't know why. Stars across the ceiling, scattered to the floor, and I get the loneliest feeling. We can't be safe, not anymore, The day has come, Ooh, but we won't run. No, we won't run. Um, wait, wait. Just, I just want to give us a chance to hold that. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so uh, really, yeah, w- just, just wanting to bring a place where it was sort of understood because I don't think that in, a, in, the, in the community of white America, there's not a lot of understanding about what allyship looks like on a practical level. And, and I think that people tend to think that you can like write things or, or even believe the right things and it, and it changes your actions, but you really have to make a conscious decision to stand um, mm. and to partner. And so I, I just really wanted to write a song that, that said like, I, I will not forget how important you are right now 
and I will stand with you and I will fight for you. Mm. Um, and, and, and I will do my best to do it uh, not out of white guilt. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, like, you know, like, like snaps, I, you know, snap. Yeah, I don't want to be a savior, you know. I, I can't say that that isn't, that, that I'm able to police that, that motivation all the time, but, but my goal is to just have to be a human being be honest and true yeah yeah profound I'm still hearing so many themes of um and I heard it also in terms of what you were saying before Kat around um this theme of running away from versus coming towards something Mm. um as this sort of like externalizing but internalizing it's like we need to come to something within ourselves that there were, then we can be present with that embodies offers others a mirror of being embodied it's almost like a role modeling of being with mm. what is in yourself but you do that work you know mm. literally giving voice to not just putting um, words to things, or, um, I was going to say like uh, putting your money where your mouth is, but putting songs <laughs> where your mouth is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so where is this leading you? Just as a something, what's, what? yeah, again, what what um, what is being created within you at this time where you, what, what pieces are creating you from the kind of global and local Nashville experiences at this current time? And what are you going to be creating with those pieces? Yeah, I think so. My first, my first goal right now is to deal with the sheer amount of fear that I'm experiencing. Yeah. Not, not being afraid of the virus, although that's a thing. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I think I, in in talking about this, like pro- pro- possible productivity of this time, mm-hmm. right? There are certain things that I want to do. I have unreleased material that I've written for this exact season that I want to give to people and I'm planning on releasing in the next few weeks. But as I started to approach getting these releases ready, um, I started to experience really palpable fear and an inability to perceive how to move forward. And in that, I was suddenly like, I have work to do before I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I want to get through this work as quickly as possible because I don't want to miss this window yeah. to fill this space with work that I've created for this space. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, sorry. Continue. No, uh, uh, I mean, you know, the big, the big thing for me is to really sit down with all of this and try to unload it and let the truth move in to the space that that fear is holding yeah um and to unload a lot of a lot of just you know you you absorb the negative feedback that you that you take on you know and you carry it in your body it becomes part it becomes part of you and until you tell it to go away right and so, yeah yeah no of course and so I'm just sort of getting ready to call out all of these like sort of negative experiences or negative phrases that I have um, absorbed over the last, I'd say, two to three years, maybe six years. Yeah. And to really 
cast it down and um and then say water as they say yeah now now i am ready to give this to other people because i want to be in a space where i can provide that gift and joy instead of fear or um, or or obligation Obligation, yeah you know and 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 then to get from there yeah that's that's amazing I mean my some of my initial phrasing around the question which I don't think I actually brought in but when I was writing and kind of in my mind thinking of how our conversation would go I was thinking a lot about how for myself I don't um I can't say I've been damaged but definitely like all kind of I don't really have a negative word for what I've personally experienced at this time, but I've definitely been panel beaten. Like I feel like internally, I'm not just looking. Yeah. I'm not, it's not like I'm looking at a new world, but I'm looking at the world with very new eyes. Mm. And because I have some fundamental, very deep seeded um, changes in my understanding of driving concepts in my life, notions of even what time is. Um, you know, this notion of what is productivity. And I see us to be collectively in a time of having these things was for me an opportunity to dive to that level and mm-hmm. redefine not just what we want things to look like externally, but what we want our internal drivers to be. I honor and I kind of um, echo this, this surging feeling of creating and living with joy. Um, not because of what the thing is that we will create, but because that, that with that energy, we generate mm-hmm. a new space around us that we can interact with others with and that we can dwell in within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I know you're going to create extraordinary things because you are an extraordinary human being. Um, I don't really have any other questions. You've sort of taken us sort of through the full progression of perhaps what I would have wanted to speak on. Otherwise, are there any, yeah, maybe you just would like to close in terms of your personal drivers. So there's this one of creating with happiness and joy and, um, but are there any other perhaps particular insights? Um, I was thinking of how much you and I particularly love our biblical metaphors. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and how I've, I know it's fun, right? And um, yeah. I've often referred to the notion that in the Bible, there was darkness before there was light, mm-hmm. um, before there was um, a divine being or energy that separated metaphorically in our awareness the understanding of what is light and what is heavy and what is dark and what is joyful Mm. and um and therefore that very first moment of creation was about awareness um so maybe as a closing thought from you Kat I'd love to know what has aside from this thing of joy and happiness are there any other particular insights that have um I guess what else has become enlightened for you from some of the darkness and confusion and seeming chaos <laughs> of this time, what's come to light for you, my friend? Yeah, I think, I think part of it is just like relearning to be kind to myself, you know, to you know, the last year I picked up a lot of negative self-talk 
for some reason. Mm. Usually not one who participates heavily in that, but mm. I've started to realize in the last two weeks of being at home that, that there's been this undulating negative self-talk mm. um, that I've been participating in and that it's not okay for me to treat myself that way, right? And and I, a couple of my friends, as a result of, you know, just being on the phone with people more and getting to connect with good friends more often, um, a couple of my friends called me out on it and were like, stop talking about my friend that way. I don't like it when you do that. It's yeah, like, oh, nice. You're right. Um, what a blessing to have friends that call you out. It's good. Yeah. And, um, and so really just relearning how to be kind to myself, how to be patient, mm. um, how to, you know, like take a walk. Yeah. yeah, take a walk through the park and let the green of the grass be the most remarkable thing in my day. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, a gentle, <laughs> a gentleness, a gentle approach, you know. Yeah. Like walking peace into the earth. Yeah, know. and... I, I, I want everything that pours out of me to come out of a depth of kindness mm. and a depth of hope mm. and belief in each other and in the world, right? And, and, and to take that fact that my, to, to allow my life to be that inha- inhabited experiences in my body mm. in a way that brings life to other people. Yeah. And, and to stand in that and let that root me, you know, and, um, to embody so, truth, the truth yeah. of the greatest humanity. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things too. Like I've, I've, I've really mostly, you know, I still have some triggers, but I've mostly recovered from an enormous amount of post-traumatic stress and sure. in a way that understandably, is really, <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, it's, it's really unusual. Um, the way that I have been able to do that um, and I am aware of the fact that it's sort of an anomaly and very grateful mm. for the amount of recovery that I have seen and have been able to participate in and, and I am grateful for what I often don't see you know, yeah, that I haven't yeah. done yeah yeah and, Hashtag um, not ready yet, maybe one day. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to be kind and say maybe later. <laughs> totally. And, and, and to just be able to like bring that and offer that to the world, you know, as, as a possibility um, to create, you know, pieces like Dear Apocalypse, that stage show. Um, yeah. I created with an aerial and contemporary dance company called Fall that was just using the songs that I wrote about the apocalypse as a landscape for overcoming and surviving trauma, Mm. like being able to bring that and embody that in that performance and, and, and stand out over an audience and yell, our accusers will stand small forever. And, and just own it completely. Yeah, and knowing knowing that this trauma, these these moments of trauma that happen in our lives are essentially accusers, right? Like they come to us to diminish diminish us to the smallest version of ourselves. That 
if if we come to it and we take it and we own it and we and we allow ourselves to be transformed yeah 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 um transformed in into into light you know um then then all it is is all it is is an accuser to a certain extent you know and something not to be feared um you know fear not the darkness i i have one literally one sentence to share in response to what you've just said and then i would love for you to close us off with if you could just sing that line for us it's your opportunity mm. to as many people are actually going to hear it it would be mm. an honor to hear all that you embody in this moment with no expectations on anything that it might be in the future just knowing that you i guess my my personal hope to you as a friend is that you can actually come to see that you already embody everything and, mm. you know, and sometimes it's um, the darkness in our mind that, as you said, it's, a, it's an accuser. It's something that simply inhibits us from seeing our own light, which already exists. So mm-hmm. many blessings for that part of your journey. And in essence, what I hear you saying is that we are simply at that phase of the story almost of going through the darkness or traveling through it to emerge into the light. Um, I'm aware that kind of fits in with the way in which I conceptualize that biblical metaphor, but mm-hmm, it's, um, I'm hearing it reinforced with a very grounded um, and inspired and impassioned, <laughs> um, yeah, embodied understanding of what we're living through. Um, so Kat Jones you truly are a remarkable soul. Thank you again for your time, for your kindness, for your enduring friendship to everyone that you meet. Um, You do bring a light to our world, so don't underestimate that. Thank you, Um, my friend. Yeah. Air hugs, air kisses. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, could you share that line with us just to close? Yeah. Accusers will stand above. Accusers will stand above. God bless you, lady. <laughs> oh, you're so awesome. That was so fun. <laughs> There's a palpable strength in people who have written their own narrative about their life, regardless of the circumstances that have come their way. You can hear it in their voice, full, certain. People like Nick Vujic and Malala come to mind, and Cat Jones. It's a strength that comes not just from the immense size of what they have overcome, but from the faith of oneself that comes from having made a powerful, conscious decision for oneself about the narratives that will shape your own inner landscape. Rather than simply resorting or defaulting to those that are available around us as societal norms or that other people might send our way, 
It's a choice to sift through the inner stories and voices, the thoughts that would shape our inner experience and perspective of life, and choose to sustain and grow only those thoughts that truly serve our own well-being. And Kat makes it clear for all of us that these are fully conscious decisions we can make for ourselves, regardless of the circumstances of our own lives. We all want to show up, roll up our sleeves and create a more equitable, sustainable, peace-filled world. But are we also willing to truly let go of the very thoughts we sustain and endorse, which continue to bring pain and suffering into our own experience of life as part of that project, let alone advocating for change on the level of societal systems and their underlying paradigms? Are we willing to truly let go of what is old within us in order to embody something new? Because choosing something new necessarily requires letting go of something old in this sense. It is literally impossible to be in a new world and the old world at the same time. I'm actually asking this of us as artists at this point, quite pointedly perhaps. Because if we are to be leaders of change, activists with our art, then we need to take a solid gloves-off look at our own art, heart and mind, at the ideas we are internally nurturing, sustaining, offering others and expressing for them to pick up, experience and be changed by. We need to ask ourselves, are we really changing anything if the ideas and performance experiences we are offering aren't any different from those that led us to their creation? Even if, on a subtle level, they sustain the arguments and fighting that currently shape our world, if they convey notions of hate or even dislike for those who disagree with our own views, where is our expression of tolerance in that? If they are motivated by an intention of anger rather than, for example, joy or compassion. I'm not attempting to pose right or wrong answers here, or heaven forbid constrain creative process, or suggest that we shouldn't deal with the very real and difficult issues in our world by taking a Pollyanna head-in-the-sand approach to life, because facing and naming the dark underbelly of our world is essential to what we do. But I am questioning the depths of our own reflection around what, and importantly how, we go about our work as artists of change. I'll thank Mr. Einstein for the idea that we cannot change the world with the same thinking that created it, and add to it an understanding that the only way out of that solipsism is to give our attention to what it is we wish to create, rather than to what it is we wish to destroy. To do the inner work of tilling our own soil, of planting our own thought seeds, not just in defiance or deference to the narratives and social norms around us, but with a deep listening and holding to the narratives the voices within, that we know will strengthen and empower us. In my own effort to walk the talk, in a coming episode I will be speaking with someone who by all accounts isn't an artist of change, and with whom, despite having a very close friendship in this life, is someone who has a very different perspective and approach to my own, because heck, <laughs> I could be wrong about all of these ideas. But I won't know until I reflect and examine them closely and lovingly. I'm Hannah Weiner, and you've been listening to the Artists of Change podcast for Yoke magazine.